0: Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
1: We are back, just like Tony D'Angelo on Twitter, but we don't have to hide behind any burner accounts. Julian McKenzie, how's it going, man? I'm good,
2: man. I don't have to hide behind any Twitter. Any tweets you see from me, they're from my account, man. What a weird story. I'm not here saying it's but this is just... Whoa! Just you. You sure you don't have any? You don't have nope. anyone that's nope. you
1: know nope. retweeting nope. everything you write, retweeting nope. everything you you appear on. I mean, you have nope. a lot of appearances. We know that you have nothing. I, I do. I do. I I don't anything you see for my Twitter. It's it's for me. I don't have any like
2: you know Julian McKenzie fan nine six one three two whatever. The one thing about that Twitter account that I just want to spend a second on this. The one thing about that Twitter account that really like gets to me is the fact that. That Twitter account defends everything from Tony D'Angelo. And like the one time that I can think of the one time they don't defend Tony, they defend Jack Johnson. And I'm like, all right, fine. That's it. All right. You know, like, like really, like really anyway, I've said, I've said my piece.
1: I'm not trying. to. I I mean, he might not be the best teammate, but you know, he might be a great teammate for Jack. I guess that's uh, one of very few redeeming qualities for Tony D'Angelo, who may or may not be in the lineup for the Rangers. I'm not really sure. I don't think it really matters. Uh, The investigative journalism uh, that uh, was done on Twitter was pretty pretty funny on Saturday, and uh, I guess we'll just leave it at that because we have bigger things to talk about, frankly. I mean, we sort of pivoted what i would say pivoted but we we our tentpole discussion topic last week was talking about Pierre-Luc Dubois and Patrick Laine and, and sort of what their trade request meant and and whether it was tenable for the rest of the season it quickly went sour uh, with Pierre-Luc Dubois with you know the shift the arguments the benching the trade the the press conferences with John Tortorella like it got pretty ugly there quick and just like that he was traded for the other disgruntled superstar Patrick Laine. So a massive, massive trade uh, with uh, Patrick Laine going to the Columbus Blue Jackets and Pierre-Luc Dubois going to the Winnipeg Jets. One of the bigger deals in NHL history, honestly, I guess recent history. I mean, we had the Taylor Hall for Adam Larson deal, Shea Weber for PK Subban, Ryan Johansson, Seth Jones. Like, this is a massive in-season deal made by two competitive teams involving players that haven't met their ceilings, but aren't prospects. Like this isn't an an exchange of two lottery tickets. We got rocket Richard potential on one side, a monster center in Pierre-Luc Dubois on the other side, number two and three picks, you know, less than five years ago. This is a massive, massive deal. Uh, What were your thoughts when you first heard of uh, the big exchange between Winnipeg and Columbus?
2: And the fact that it's also in a pandemic too, right? And and teams are are finding ways to to make sure that they're under the salary cap and people are wondering what's going on with that and wondering if it's going to be a flat salary cap for next year as well. I'll add that as well. That this is a pretty big trade. I was surprised at first to hear that Winnipeg was going to consider flipping Patrick Laine for for Pierre-Luc Dubois. And when it got to a point that Winnipeg was going to be that clear team, um, and they were able to get the deal through, I thought, okay, uh, Columbus gets themselves a winger with amazing goal-scoring potential and a young center to develop, and Winnipeg gets a center, and now they're, they're it looks as if they're going to be pretty stacked down the middle. This is a trade. I know a lot of people have been taking sides on this. I think both teams, on paper anyway, with the players that they got, like it, it should be good for them. The question is, is which team is going to do right the most by the other? I've, I'm I'm really wondering what Patrick Laine is going to be like in Columbus with John Tortorella. I mean, if Patrick Laine wanted out of Winnipeg and the head coach was Paul Maurice, and now he's going to go to John Tortorella as a head coach. I'm if 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 I mean I don't know what Laine's relationship was like with Paul Maurice, but let's say they're in a world where it was just you know eh, so so. I don't know how it's going to be with a guy who is a bit more notorious for being prickly in a guy like John Tortorella. I think Patrick Laine uh, is a great great player. I'm just curious with the system as well that that John Tortorella has in there, how he's going to fit. And Pierre-Luc Dubois, of course, up in Winnipeg, this is a guy who, one of the things we we heard him say was that, or at least what was out there, I shouldn't say what he said, but what was suggested was that he wanted, you know, a a different market and a bigger market. And he goes from a city uh, that has like what, over eight hundred thousand people to a city with like much less people, so he goes to a smaller market, essentially. Definitely uh, a more passionate market, though.
1: Definitely a more definitely passionate more
2: market. Passionate market, absolutely. Uh, but you know, if you're thinking bigger market, like I like I was thinking, you know, is we were talking about Montreal as a we're talking about
1: Montreal, New York. I mean, that that's the stuff that, that sort of jumped out when you're talking about bigger market. Uh, I think California. I, I think maybe he just wants to be around a situation where there's there's some serious passion. I, I'm not sure if this is the ideal scenario for him, but certainly that's something to watch. I think so, you sort of alluded to it on both sides, is is are these teams going to be able to keep both these superstars happy? And you mentioned Line. I mean, this is a huge spot for Patrick Line. Like, he is the undisputed star of this team now, the guy in Columbus. He wasn't that in Winnipeg, despite how talented he is. And now we have to see what he's got. I mean, can he be Artemi Panarin? Can he be the guy who drove so much offense for them? Now is he on an is he on an island now? I mean, he doesn't really have much help in terms of surely center talent, but anyone else that's going to get them him the puck on regularity. And you mentioned the stage for Dubois. Uh, does his dad factor in this at all? I mean, he's a coach with the with the AHL affiliate, but is this the stage he really wanted? I mean, that's one of the huge things uh, that to consider with this deal is they both wanted new situations, but is this the situation they want? But as for the teams, I think it's a win-win. I mean, I always assumed that the Jets would lose the line A deal, handedly. Like there was not, there was no chance they were going to get back a player that was going to be as close to providing the value that Line A can. The fact that he has like a 30-goal floor, he could hit 40 easily, he could win Rocket Richard's in the future. The fact that they were able to get a guy back in Pierre-Luc Dubois who could be a monster number two center on a great team, he could be a really, really good center on a really good number one center on a good team, I think. like He has so much potential. Um, So the fact that these two teams were able to make lemonade out of the lemons they were given in this situation with you know Dubois basically like so much for his value cratering he he's he basically protested with his play got sat and Columbus was still able to bring back probably the most talented player that's ever going to play for them other than maybe Artemi Panarin maybe other than Rick Nash like Patrick Line is that good so the fact that both these two teams are able to make this happen I think it's a win-win what about you
2: I also have to say, uh, I agree with you. I think both teams got rid of guys that were disgruntled in their situations and they exchanged them for players who could use that change of scenery. They both succeed on that front. I said last week on this podcast that Dubois was in a situation where he had to go because of how uh, John Tortorello was handling the situation. Pierre LeBron on TSN made a very good point the other day. John Tortorella was the one who confirmed that Pierre-Luc Dubois asked to be traded. Mm-hmm. And then Pierre-Luc Dubois had the game where i don't know what he was doing with with the minutes he was on in that first period and the lack of effort he showed and i like how you framed it as a protest because i mean i don't think Pierre Luc dubois how many times have you seen him have shifts where he gives so little effort i think he just got himself to a point where he's like you know what you got you got to get me out of here like he just did not like the situation he was in and i was telling a friend like hey after that it's like he has until saturday morning to get traded and lo and behold Saturday morning was when he eventually got out. And as for Patrick Line in Columbus, I'm a little intrigued at the fact that it's very likely it's either uh Texier or, or Max Domi. He's going to be getting the puck from. That's a pretty big of a drop in, in terms it's, of it's centers. A seri- it's a serious, it's a serious drop, serious drop in, in Columbus, but this is a guy who can score goals. And if you put the puck on his stick, he'll find a way to do it. Uh, I, I, I still think they'll need to fix that center depth, though, but I, I think Patrick Laine in Columbus, if he scor- starts to score goals, he'll really endear himself to his teammates.
1: And how much time do they have to fix that center depth? I mean, Pierre-Luc Dubois has one more year after this, which maybe tilts the 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 scales in the Jets favor a little bit because there's an uncertain future for both these guys I mean Patrick Lina yes he will be a restricted free agent at the end of the season but they have to figure out a way to get him under contract how much is it going to cost will he want to be there is he going to be is he going to be unhappy with his situation there and and want out because he doesn't have anyone that's going to pass him the puck uh all things obviously to consider and I don't think we're really going to get a winner until uh, you know, one of these guys signs a long-term extension because I think it's unlikely that both these guys are just going to be really, really happy with their scenarios it, it just at first blush here. What I found really interesting about, you know, the, the, how we got to the deal was that both teams apparently had this deal in their pocket since the draft. Elliott Friedman, I think, Mm -hmm. reported that on Sportsnet. They knew about this possibility for a long time, and they were sort of sitting on it and waiting for something else potentially to happen or for fences to be bended between, you know, the the two players that were involved. I guess I'm nitpicking a little bit if I say, why bring in Paul Stastny then if you're the Winnipeg Jets? I mean, Paul Stastny on dollar value alone was the most expensive addition a Canadian team made the entire offseason, taking him from the Vegas Golden Knights. And now he's going to get pushed into a third line function, $7 million or whatever he's making, six and a half, I think. Uh, that's really expensive and not a great way to put your assets together because he's falling out of favor. So if you, if you knew this was a possibility, you thought you were going to be able to get this done, and it probably seemed likely that they were tr- going to try and get rid of Patrick Laine this year, and that Pierre-Luc Dubois was their target all along that was the guy who fixes your center depth. And now Stastny is sort of a wasted asset. So I I think that is interesting on Winnipeg's side when considering a win-win or who's the winner at least. And I'm going to ask you who the winner is because we have to have a hot take on the board here, Julian. So considering that, considering that Pierre-Luc Dubois is cheaper and signed for one more year, uh, that Patrick Line is probably going to score more goals than PLD his entire career. uh, If you had to choose a winner in this win-win scenario who are you giving the nod to
2: I'm giving it to Winnipeg then if I have to pick a winner I'm just going to give it to Winnipeg I think Winnipeg has a better team than Columbus and I think Dubois will be in a much better situation you'll be on a a team that I think is is a playoff team I think Columbus as well they're, they're well coached enough to be a playoff team as well I think they might have to struggle struggle and labor a bit to to really be that team and, and Patrick Laine might have to work a little bit harder to to get some of the production as opposed to Pierre-Luc Dubois in, in Winnipeg um I'll say this though, with Dubois, you, it's interesting you pointed out what well, you pointed out with with the way that their depth is kind of set up here. Uh, I, I'll, I'll mention another thing that kind of intrigued me about that trade, and it's it's from the interview that uh, Dubois had with with Hockey Night in Canada over the weekend, and he mentioned being true to himself and 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 wanting to to make sure he did this deal. I'm I'm what do you, I don't know if you thought about this too, but like, what does he mean by being true to himself? Like, what does that mean? Like, why did he say that? Like, what is it? about is it the fact that just he did not feel he was just a fit for the city he did not feel he was some kind of fit for the culture there like why did he i wish i wish like ron mclean would have pressed him on that a little more because i feel like there's something to him saying that he need to be true to himself unless i'm wrong and i misread something but like i i think in winnipeg now hopefully he'll be in a situation where he can I guess, be a little closer to that. Or or maybe when the contract expires after next season, he'll eventually get to that point where he'll go to that market that he really wants to be at, where he can truly be himself. Uh, just That was probably something I chewed on the, the most, where he was saying, like, you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois, the person, he has to consider that and, and what he wants. That really intrigued
1: me. I mean, maybe that stems from the fact that this trade was on the table all along. Maybe, I mean, he obviously has some, um, you know, a, a contact I guess with the Winnipeg organization being that his father works in their AHL affiliate maybe he knew that this this trade was a possibility for a long time and he's sitting back thinking okay why haven't you made it then Columbus has decided that you want to you know you want to move on you found a way to move on why haven't you done it yet what am i waiting for i'm 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 sort of sort of stuck here with no say in anything and you want me to just continue to brush aside the fact that you have me already on another team but you want me to play for you until you maybe get another or a better offer. I think that might have played into a little bit. I think clearly the relationship with John Tortorella, despite how much he sort of tried to uh, mend that relationship I guess in the public eye with that interview with Hockey Night, I think clearly it was fractured. Clearly they couldn't move on together based on everything that had happened. But I think being true to yourself, maybe it's just as simple as the fact that he wanted something more. and. A lot of people accept, certainly in hockey, that just the reality that they have and being true to himself, maybe was pursuing something bigger than what he had. And again, we commended him and Line on their just their willingness to put themselves out there. I think hockey needs a little bit more of that. I think hockey needs fewer yes men and more people that stand up and actually want what they want uh and I don't think we can fault him for actually wanting what he wanted and that's maybe staying true to himself I, I, again I'm not in his head I'm not a armchair psychologist but maybe that's what he meant by that uh as for a winner uh, before we move on here I'll go to the other side just to make it interesting I think it leaves the blue jackets <laughs> with a big big hole obviously center ice is uh incredibly weak for them but I think they win the deal based on the circumstances to decide this player would never play for you again which they did and parlay that forward into basically a forward that can hit 30 or 40 goals every year. I actually think that's pretty remarkable. So I'll give the Columbus Blue Jackets a slight edge based on the circumstances, but I think uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois immediately makes the Jets a lot better, and 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 they certainly have every right and every reason to do that deal. Let's move on to a topic you're uh, very familiar with, and that's the incredible start for the Montreal Canadiens. Now, I mentioned off the first... A podcast that uh, we did together that we're not going to you know, belabor the point with Toronto and Montreal every week. But how can you not talk about the Montreal Canadiens right now? 4-0-2 start to their season. All their games played on the road. 20% of their road schedule already done. They haven't lost a game in regulation yet. I mean, that's pretty impressive for this Montreal team that had a lot of moving parts and is coming together quite quickly. The most impressive thing, though, probably is that they lead the NHL in goals that every newcomer that they've had has had a massive impact. Josh Anderson, Tyler Toffoli, Jake Allen has won his two starts. Alexander Romanov, Joel Edmondson fighting Tyler Myers, Corey Perry coming in off the taxi squad and delivering in his first opportunity with Montreal. Literally everything is working in their favor right now. They've taken control, Julian, of the North Division. What's your read on the Montreal Canadiens through six games?
2: I don't think I've ever seen a team this good, man. I don't think I've whoa, ever seen a Montreal Canadiens team this good. Okay, okay. Okay, you got yeah, to qualify sorry, sorry. a whoa, Montreal Canadian team no. this good. Yo, Better than, sorry. you know,
1: Canada Olympic team, <laughs> Sochi. That's not Let's not I get meant. ahead of ourselves. That's not
2: what I bet. That's not what I bet. But okay. like, in, all, in all honesty, Just I'm not, that's fair. Um, I've only been around the team through media and stuff like that for a small handful of years. I've only watched this team. I've only been around like a little over 25 years of my life. Like, I was not alive the last time the Montreal Canadiens have won a Stanley Cup. This is probably the best Montreal Canadiens team I have ever seen as long as I've been alive. Mostly because, for years, I've said for the Montreal Canadiens, uh, as someone who lives in the city, as someone who watches the team, as someone who, you know, is on sports radio sometimes, as someone who writes for the local publication or the Montreal Gazette in, in terms of, you know, prognosticating for the Montreal Canadiens, I've said through different columns, through different forms of media, the Montreal Canadiens have needed finishers badly because they've done a lot of stuff at five on five generating a lot of chances it's just that they did not have anyone to finish and now on this team they could look at a guy like Josh Anderson who can cut to the net and finish they could look at a guy like Nick Suzuki who can create plays and and help some of those guys finish Tyler Toffoli just burned the Vancouver Canucks throughout a I almost thought he was going to score on 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 Saturday night against the Vancouver Canucks but he had already torched them in the first two games prior. He
1: I, didn't need to do that.
2: It's insane. He didn't even <laughs> need to do that. It would have been it would have been damn disrespectful at that point. But <laughs> I've never seen uh, Corey Perry, you mentioned Corey Perry. This is the guy who who got signed, gets put on waivers and everyone's freaking like, "Oh no. What if what if people what if they lose Corey Perry?" And then he's on the taxi squad for as many games as he's on. In the very first game He's not even the fact that he just scored, but he did not look out of place. That forward group that Marc Bergevin assembled in Montreal is the deepest I've seen him ever assemble. It's the deepest I've seen this team look, and they're good. And people are starting to realize that this team, fine, they've only played like the teams that they've played, like three teams to this point, but they've Mm -hmm. looked good in all of those games. The biggest caveat against them is, the aggressive style of play that they're playing is leading to a lot of penalty trouble. Last I checked, they lead the league in, in minor penalties. But a lot of times, I think a lot of people could say, oh, well, maybe the, cough, the calls are not necessarily all there or they're kind of soft. But I don't think a lot of people are going to fault them for, for playing aggressive and, and playing on pucks and, and and seeing that the players in the system are are succeeding. I'm, I'm telling you here, I'll say it again, this is the best Montreal Canadiens team I've seen. And I understand, and people need to understand I'm very young. I was not alive for any of the, the teams of, of years past or of the 70s and and all that. I've seen – I've gone through the dark years where the best player was Saka Koivu, and it was just dark in the early 2000s. And I know the Toronto fans could also sympathize a bit for their dark years as well, but for this for this mm-hmm. team here, for what they've done, this is the best Montreal Canadiens team I've, I've seen. I'm willing to call it now. This is the best team I've seen.
1: Brag about being young one more time, Julian, and we're going to have a problem. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, Obviously, I haven't had as close of an eye, but this is certainly, you know, in this era, the most talented team, the deepest team. I think that's the big key. This isn't like overwhelming singular talents, but it's it's solid everywhere. I mean, it's line after line. It's Jake Allen coming in after Carey price. It's Joel Edmondson doing what he can out of that sixth spot. It's Alexander Romanov coming in and pushing everybody else on that defense core. It's Jeff Petrie being just such a solid defenseman that I cannot believe the Edmonton Oilers ever had to give up on it is. It is. I mean that, I mean, that's old news obviously, because there's so many other new shiny toys, Uh, but it's just, you look up and down the lineup and it's very, very impressive but it does lead me to one theory, which is that if this team wasn't gifted the playoff spot in the summer, you know, 24th seed, a team that certainly was not leading the NHL in goals, was scoring very few of them, had a lot of problems. If they weren't gifted that spot, that this wouldn't have happened. I think that Mark Bergevin's, what he saw from the Montreal Canadiens in the bubble was a very empowering moment. It 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 motivated him to go after all the players that he did in free agency, use that cap space, and plug the holes that he saw fit. Wow, this carry Price looks fantastic. We cannot overwork him. Let's get a capable backup. Let's get Josh Anderson, because we need a little bit more meat. Wow, we got Nick Suzuki, who looks like he can be a uh, really solid emerging number two center, maybe that number one center in the future. Let's get him a little bit more help. Let's sur- let's get Tyler Toffoli in uh, red white and blue because he can score some goals for us. I think everything that he saw in the summer motivated what we're seeing now. And I'm not sure if you subscribe to that same theory, but if they weren't gifted that playoff spot, if we didn't see what we saw in the summer from the Montreal Canadiens, would they be in this position now in your opinion?
2: No. I and and I I want to make a couple on this or maybe it's the right term, maybe it's not the right term, but I was of the I was of the belief that the Montreal Canadiens, in the state that they were, remember this is, and I say this all the time, this was a team last season that had two eight-game winless streaks and lost all of their games to the, to the Detroit Red Wings, who were the worst team in the National mm-hmm. Hockey League last year. I thought the Montreal Canadiens should have put themselves in a position to get the number one overall pick and get Alexi Lafreniere. But they were able to get in the playoffs. Their young players in Suzuki and Karkiniemi, uh shined and played very well. And Carey Price showed that he could still be an all-world goaltender when he gets a lot of rest. You listed off a whole bunch of different things that Mark Bergerman definitely noticed in the bubble. There's one thing I'll add to that as well. Jonathan Drouin is now a guy who, fine, the leash is maybe still a bit short for him. Whenever he makes like one mistake, people will come at him. But I think he is quietly the guy who's probably benefited the most from, from all of these changes, the fact that he's on a line with Suzuki and, and and they're building off that chemistry they had in the bubble uh, to this point now, where he's generating a whole bunch of points and he doesn't have to feel he has to overcompensate and, and, and try to be the super talented guy. There are so many other guys who are able to do things for him, like a Josh Anderson, who's able to make space, uh, a Nick Suzuki, who's able to, 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 to feed him the puck and, and help create offense for him. like, I, I don't think enough people are realizing that for a guy like Jouin who had all this attention put onto him and then the team goes through the off season that they go through adding all these new players and all these shiny new toys and everyone's looking at that but quietly all along Jonathan Jouin is just in the corner just working on his game and, and, and trying to look good and he did look good at points last season before he got injured. I just think so many pieces came together for the Montreal Canadiens and the fact that the piece of Jonathan Drouin a guy who was acquired like years prior to all of this happening, uh, and and was still just you know it was kind of hit or miss with him. The fact that he's also been succeeding, I think that's that's a true testament to to how good this team is, has has come from from last year. And the and I don't think any of that stuff happens if they don't get that opportunity to play in the playoffs. They 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 look they look good, and I'm, I'm I mean. Maybe you could say that, maybe I'm overstating it by saying it's the best team I've seen. Again, I, I mentioned the age qualifier here, but I can't think of a Montreal Canadiens team that has been able to do as well as they have on five-on-five. On five. They've seen success on the power play. Their penalty kill could use some work, but they adjusted over the weekend against Vancouver. Their goaltending is is there. They're a good team. Uh, to, to quote, uh, uh, to paraphrase our good buddy Eilish uh, Forfar here, I think there are teams that should be Trey worried about the Montreal Canadiens in this North Division. They're they're a good team, and I think people need to to start to realize
1: that. And you, I think you bring up a great point with Jonathan Drouin. Okay, we saw this from him in the bubble, but how can we make life easier for Jonathan Drouin? You trade Max Domi, who was getting fourth-line minutes in that bubble, and you bring in a guy like Josh Anderson. I mean, we talked about everything they did. That might still be the the move that everything else sort of cascaded off of that was their the their big offseason splash was getting Josh Anderson and just fitting the pieces a little bit more tightly and correctly into the puzzle that they're building uh and now I think that correct me if I'm not if I'm wrong but I think they come home and play seven games in a row on uh, on home ice after going 4-0-2 on a road trip to start the season they are not only primed for a great year but they're primed for potentially taking a huge lead in the North division, we'll see how that all plays out. Maybe, you know, they're just road warriors, but Hey, uh, I think they're in a great spot right now. Not a great spot, I guess would be the Washington capitals who are in these trying times. I'm not going to feel sorry for anyone who owns an NHL team, but 100 K is 100 K and that's what they'll have to pay after the four Russian players. I guess there could be more than four Russian players on the roster, but four high profile Russian players, Got together in a hotel room, watched some sports, played some video games. Unfortunately, Ilya Samsonov uh, tested positive for COVID nineteen, so those four players are having to go through uh, the NHL's COVID nineteen protocols right now. Uh, while Ted Leonsis gets the 100k out of his, you know, mutual funds in order to pay the fine. Um, That's expensive. It is expensive. Well, it's probably a drop in the bucket for him. Well, but I mean, relatively. We, we digress. Uh, I think this is an important moment for the NHL, Um, not only for levying the fine, but having the systems in place to catch and correct this behavior. Uh, How they caught them is kind of big, and I I, I don't really know exactly how it happened. Is it just because Ilya Sansonov tested positive, they were able to retrace his steps, or do they have some sort of surveillance on these guys? I don't really know how this is working, uh, but either way, they needed to come down hard, the NHL did, on the Capitals to prevent this situation from happening again, because uh, as much as it sounds silly to be, you know, you can't hang out in your hotel room because or while you can, you know, sit shoulder by shoulder in the dressing or on the bench and inside dressing rooms, that doesn't really make all that much sense. But the fact of the matter is one of these players actually had COVID and the fact that he was in a situation that could have been avoided and therefore he could have passed along this infection Uh, When it didn't need to happen, that's something they have to avoid. And that's something they have to frankly punish because if they're going to get through this year, all these teams have to be diligent. All these teams have to follow these protocols to a T or or we're not going to get through the schedule. And for the Capitals right now, the punishment is, you know, the 100K, but also playing without four of their best players for the next week.
2: And, and not just, you know, guys in the middle of their lineup, one of those players involved is one of the best players to have ever played in the game in, in Alexander Ovechkin. And that's a guy who, after everything that happened, he had to come up with a statement and, and put himself out there. I would like to believe that a lot of NHL teams took notice of what happened, obviously, because of the fact that it's COVID. But I think this is one of those situations where you really have to look at the cast here and seeing guys like like Kuznetsov and Ovechkin in in that group and and seeing that whole team get penalized, you know, if I know for us as media types, we see that and we're like, whoa, we take a step back. I have to hope that the players also kind of do that as well. I know they get kind of sucked in their own bubble with everything going on and they have their own rules and protocols, but the NHL showing that, you know, they're not playing with this and no one should be playing with COVID. And we can get into a whole Mm -hmm. other existential conversation about whether we should be having these games at all but if the games are going to be happening if teams are going to be investing themselves into this remember there's a lot of teams who said that you know what they would be better off not playing because of the money they'd be losing you know if this is all going to happen then people need to follow the rules and that also goes for star players that goes for fourth line guys that goes for taxi squad guys everyone Mm -hmm. in the nhl needs to do their part and needs to follow the rules no one not even alexander ovachkin uh, is above the rules here. And I know I'm harping on Ovechkin a lot in this segment here, but he's the biggest star out of all four of those players who were the found in that the team. hotel room. He's the captain, he's the captain of the of team. The
1: team. Yep.
2: He's extension a role of role Like He shouldn't be there. Exactly. Absolutely. So he yeah. deserves to to be criticized for this.
1: And I get, I get why these things happen too, though. I mean, like uh, it's, it is easy to sit, to sit back and say, like, you know, we were just, we literally just showered six feet from each other, but we can't do this. Like it, it's, I kind of understand all that. And my worry is that this only was caught because Samsonov had had uh, tested positive for COVID. So I, I do wonder about all the systems in place. Uh, I'm a little uncomfortable with like the, of course it's the Russian sort of narrative that came out of it. Yeah. Uh, I think I don't think it's you know a xenophobic uh, situation at all, but these guys have come under fire for other things in the past. Evgeny Kuznetsov obviously has a bit of a sketchy uh, past. We heard about you know partying in the bubble and not really taking serious taking things seriously. But again, we can't connect all those things. It, it, it's not fair to. Of course, it's the Russians this situation. Uh, so I just want to mention that. But I guess the other thing here is that Ovechkin's wife you know, came out with that uh, Instagram post where she was slamming the NHL and so on and so forth. And I don't want to, you know, hit back at her. I don't think that, like, she's just being passionate, voicing her opinion, defending her husband. Um, but saying that Ovechkin and I believe it was Orlov have the antibodies, that doesn't matter. That's not a, that's not a thing that that is at all relevant to the situation. It is a big deal because even if they're not going to be infected by it or they're not going to be uh, they've built up some sort of immunity, which is, I guess, a bit you know debatable in its own right. But Samson—they can be carriers. Samsonov can pass it to them, mm-hmm. and therefore it can be passed on to anyone, even with those antibodies. So it could go from Samsonov to Ovechkin to the entire dressing room, and that's why it's important for these protocols to be followed.
2: Not even just their own like players, right? Like they have their own families too you know, that could go on to them. And, Training and, and staff as families. They're... Exactly. Yeah. Everybody. And and look, I mean, the players have their own bubble and they're able to interact with whoever, and, and maybe it's a bit of this... I'm not specifically sure what the protocols are when they extend to their families. But with COVID, what we've learned is, is that even if you might feel okay, you might be asymptomatic, if you turn into a carrier, there is that risk that that could carry to somebody else. And... I would hate to be in a position myself. If I, I mean, fortunately, as far as I'm concerned, I've never, I've not had COVID. But like, I would hate, I, I would not be able to live with myself if I was in a situation where I had it and I inadvertently passed it on to someone else, and they had a much worse time dealing with it. And I'm sure Justin, you would probably feel the same as well. I just yeah. think that in these times, and this goes for every league as well. The NBA is trying to trying to deal with it with itself, and and they have all these different issues with COVID, like. We these players need to, you know, follow the rules, even if they are a little weird. But for the sake of their leagues playing, they have to follow the rules and, and rules are rules. They, like I know there's stuff that's weird. I'm with you on the fact that sitting on the bench, it's 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 kind of weird. But you can't be in a hotel room. But rules are rules that you
1: kind of have to follow them here. Yeah. And it actually brings me back to something that Jake Muzzin said before the season began in one of the Zoom meetings uh, that the Toronto Maple Leafs were doing. And he looked back at the NFL teams that had the most success this year, and we're in championship weekend, so we can pinpoint four teams that have had the most success in the NFL this year. And have they run into COVID troubles? Uh, I'm not sure on the top of my head if I can remember anything that they've been involved in. But what Muzzin said was the teams that are performing best right now in the NFL are the ones that have avoided COVID, the ones that have avoided you know outbreaks within their camps, uh, problems with star players getting it. Uh, he he brought up a really good point, and it just it just drives home uh, the importance of being diligent in these times. Uh, the best success uh, that teams are probably going to have are going to be teams that avoid this. Like it, you you lose your starting goaltender Alexander Ovechkin, uh, Evgeny Kuznetsov, your your top center. Like these are important players, and it hasn't affected them yet. They, I don't think they've lost in regulation, just like the abs. But I think I subscribe to Muzzin's theory. I think if you Avoid this stuff. You're going to be in the best position as a team, and you're going to be in the best position health-wise in your family, and all that's obviously way more important than wins and losses. But it is very important, I think, in the end, for teams to avoid this stuff and and to be as diligent as possible because that might be the difference between you know a couple points in the standings, playoff positioning, playoff matchups. It, it's all it's it's obviously again it didn't it hasn't affected Washington to this point, and they may just be fine. But I, I definitely – I've been thinking about that uh, since the start of the season when he said it because I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, teams that are going to avoid this stuff are going to be in a far better situation.
2: Yeah, and
1: I just so uh, – here's my one
2: thing about this, man. I don't know what those players did in the room, but if it's a question of them
1: playing video games together,
2: are we in a position now where we don't need to be in the same room to do that?
1: Man, get everyone, get everyone a console, everyone a headset. I'm not a gamer, but I, I know you can connect easy. Come the gaming on. world hasn't shut like, down from COVID. Look,
2: I got my phone right here. I know you got your phone. If you want to play Among Us, we're in two different cities. We could link up and, and find a way to do that. Uh, there are other people at Yahoo Sports. If they all want to come together and have some big Among Us party, we could do that. I'm curious. What was so important? that all four of those guys needed to be in the hotel room together. Like Washington is not at a point in their season where, you know, crap has hit the fan and and, and their season is going to fall off the rails and they need to have an emergency meeting. Like what could they have possibly done to warrant the need for all of those players
1: to be in the same room like that?
2: Like it doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah, I mean I think the point is that it's nothing. Like it's just they're sort of protesting in the sense that this is stupid. We should be able to just sit in the room. We were literally just sitting beside each other in the on the bench. Oh, whatever. Uh, I think there I think there's a little protest there. Uh I, I think they're just thinking we're a bit bl- we're a bit above the rules. But I think this proves that no one, including the greatest goal center goal scorer in history, is above the rules. Now you mentioned, you know, Your your phone there. You could just tell everyone we're gonna play Words with Friends until next Sunday. Every day, all week. Like, yeah, it's it's cool. We could do that. That's our. I would be
2: cool. Like, I get to play with Justin Cuthbert and be like, "Yo, let's play Words with Friends." I haven't played Words with Friends in in years. Uh, You just, you just, again,
1: Uh, you just showing my age and flaunting yours. I'm not trying to do that. It's gonna gonna be be a theme, man.
2: You're not even that old. Okay, let's, let's. You're not old. You're not old. What do you like? I'm not gonna put
1: your age out there. Okay, I, that, I, like, I was Ooh. I was alive when the Habs won the Stanley Cup last time, so we'll just leave it at that. How about that? Ooh, damn. Okay, all right. You up there, man? My bad. Okay, let's let's move on. It's gotten <laughs> off of the rails again. Uh, we'll work on our vocabulary in private uh, over some sort of app. Uh, we'll figure that out. <laughs> but uh, again, good talking to you, Julian. Um, you know, likewise, man. Don't don't uh, don't feel the need to get a burner account. Everything's cool. All your platforms, you know, you're getting support everywhere. I see. So no need to get uh, on the Tony Tony D'Angelo strategy in terms of, uh, uh, you know, making sure that all is right in the social media world.
2: Oh man, Plot twist. What if I was the one running the Twitter account and I was the one who was just able to, to put these tweets out there? It's not me it's not me. Don't,
1: don't say it's me. It's not me. I'm it just could kidding. You. I, I can never see you, uh, supporting Tony D. So, uh, until next time, uh, maybe we'll have some more Tony D slander. If not, we'll definitely have topics to discuss in the NHL. Thanks again for joining me, Julian. See you next Sunday.
0: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom.